How are you, sir? Long time, no here. Yeah, I've not been on since the end of year awards, I don't think, since <laughs> about six months. Um, you are very croaky, by the way. I'm, I am, yeah. <laughs> I hope I'm, you I'm... feel better as we as we go through. I mean, me and Marcus might be croaky by the end of talking about all these matches, but we'll see. <laughs> I My application for that job with Radio 2 didn't go through. That's the reason why I was. <laughs> 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 to be fair, it's, you've got a very, you know, chilled tone here with the croakiness. It might have worked, or is that more of a Radio 4 vibe? I think, I think it's more of a Radio 4 classical music vibe. I think I could I could get away with introducing Shostakovich with a voice like this. <laughs> That's a very British reference, <laughs> by the way. That's not for the American listeners. No, no, no. And, and to welcome someone who's clearly bemused by that particular joke. It's Marcus Green of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. How are we doing, sir? I'm good, man. Glad to be here with two fellas. Uh, James, I'm sorry to hear about the radio gig. I'm sure you have something <laughs> down the pike. As, as, but uh, yeah, this is uh, this is definitely uh, going to be a fun one. Yeah, it is. We are looking at Forbidden Door from AEW and New Japan Pro Wrestling. Uh, we're going to do the whole thing. We're even going to do the buy-in because um, we thought, why the hell not? And, uh, you know, Hiroki Goto. Can't have Marcus on and not talk about Hiroki Goto. Um, you think we've started an entire movement here. So there we go. We're going to start with what did you expect from this show? Because in the build up to this show, me and John talked about it, me and Marcus talked about it. We kind of like, my theory was it wasn't going to be the big actual thing. It was kind of going to be the thing that leads to the big actual thing. So that's kind of where I'm framing it. Alex, was it the big actual thing or the thing that leads to the big actual thing? Well, I think, yeah, I think you're spot on with that's exactly what I was expecting, where this is the first one to lead to maybe the massive second one next year. But I think, honestly, it massively over-delivered because when it was announced, there was obviously loads of excitement and buzz around it because, you know, historic thing, huge moment for the crossover event to finally be happening. Um, It was all the bad blood there previously that they finally ironed out with, I think, new management in New Japan, stuff like that. And it was obviously this really cool concept that we were going to finally see the big stars from each company coming together. But then, I think as you've probably touched on before, and we can probably all agree that the build to the show was pretty lackluster overall. Um, Some of that out of both companies' hands, because... The injuries to like Punk, Brian, Ishii, late as well, are not things that <laughs> they were expecting to happen. You know, Hiromu got a fever the day before. It felt like the show was was cursed in a way, and there were like travel issues. The New Japan guys couldn't get to the US to do some of the build up as early as I think they would have liked. There's the politics and stuff with like the CMLL partnership as well, which took away a couple of matches. Like I think. I think I saw a report that every single one of the men's matches on the main card was changed in one way or another from <laughs> what they originally wanted to do. So I think with all that said, 
I was still massively excited going into the show. I knew as a standalone show at the end of it, it was still likely to deliver. But I, yeah, not to kind of preempt it too much, but I do think what we got in the end was was phenomenal, like barely a weak point on the show. So I think it really surpassed expectations when you consider some of the talent they didn't have, like Omega, Punk, Brian, um, Naito wasn't there, Ishii. Ishimori, Hiromu. So I think with all those names missing for them to deliver what they did was was impressive, to be honest. Uh, yeah, I, I, we will get to see you NATO in a bit because this stuff that's come out this week, which is just frankly hilarious. Um, so we'll talk about him a bit later. Okay, I think to... I've missed this, so I'm looking forward uh, to uh, <laughs> it's, it's pri- it. Started, well, it came out today and it's prime NATO um, shithousery of the highest order. Brilliant. <laughs> Uh, Marcus, what were your thoughts going into the show and what did you think of the build? Yeah, I'm very much 100% in alignment with Alex on this one. This is uh, very much overall a vibe, kind of being undersold uh, and ultimately uh, over-delivered. Vibe going into the show for me was kind of a mixed bag. Um, obviously, like Alex said, excitement because of just the, the clash of uh, companies and whatnot and, and, and seeing that. So much, so many of these combination of matchups for the first time, but you know, a little bit of hesitation because, like you said, it's a lot of politics and so many moving pieces, and a lot of these pieces got moved away because <laughs> of you know things like you said that was very much out of people's control and, and and what have you. But I think, you know, more to your point, James, about you know uh, being kind of built to something more or, or the next thing. That's where you kind of get those pieces. Almost kind of serendipitous in the way that they did get moved away, um, because it because this car did what it did ultimately in the way that it delivered. It gives you something to look forward to even more because it's like if it delivered like this with these names, imagine what it'll do mm. you know, with the names that got taken away the next go round. But uh, yeah, ultimately, just like Alex said, man, this was phenomenal. It's been a very long time since I've sat down and watched a complete. AEW show from start to finish and was smiling by the end of it, mostly because I wasn't looking at the clock going, it's tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yes. so, yeah, that was, uh, it was good, man. It's just, they, they definitely did their thing with this show. Didn't take three days to complete is always a good start to a pay-per-view. <laughs> uh, okay, so the, the buy-in was hosted by Excalibur Taz and Kevin Kelly, who were going to be the main commentators through the out of the evening. There were, there were some additions and some subtractions and some intriguing stuff. Uh, the buy-in opened with Bishimon, Hiroki Goto, and Yoshihashi, defeat, Yoshihashi defeating the factory Aaron Solo and QT Marshall in 55 seconds. A couple of things I noticed in this match. Bishimon were way over, Yoshihashi especially, which just goes to prove to show that, as me and Alex have been saying for the last eight years, we were correct. And it is, in fact, Yoshihashi's decade, not just his year. Um, <laughs> you beat me to the joke. I was The big question is, will it be his year in the G1 on the back of this? So. Oh, I'm, 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 oh, I'd get him to the final if it was me. I think he'd be in the final. I might, but I, I if it was in America... Was, a desperate losing final to um, somebody else. I don't know who would beat, who would beat him, but it'd be, it'd just be, yeah, I think it'd just beat some big names on the way to the final and then uh, lose to them. We'll see. Well, we've got our G1 preview to go yet um, before too long. We'll probably have to do that next week, to be honest with you. Uh, they beat the factory, Aaron Solo and QT Marshall in minutes for 55 seconds, which was all right. It wasn't particularly great shakes. The factory seemed to have dropped off the radar since Cody's left for WWE and they've been farmed out to New Japan Strong for a while and they've done some reasonable stuff over there. 
was slightly terrified by QT Marshall's Kopiton Hilo because he looked like he was about to hang himself, uh, which was worrying for a wrestling instructor. But there you go. <laughs> Marcus, your thoughts? Well, yes, one of the, the leading go-toers here. Obviously, I was happy to see. <laughs> and, and, and very much um, coming along these, these last few years, that within that eight-year you know, time span with you and uh, Alex, very much have become a Yoshiashi fan uh, because he always came off like a guy that was on the cusp of something great, uh, specifically, you know, having shining moments throughout those eight years of, of you know, the sparks of brilliance. It's like, if this guy could just get out of his own way or add yeah. And they'll get paired with the right person. It'll, you know, he'll be set. And, it, and it's, it's really great to finally see that potential being realized alongside my guy Goto. So it was great seeing them. Um, honestly, the whole Aaron Solo and QT Marshall over I would have kind of preferred, me personally, they could have did Goto versus Yoshihashi as opposed to <laughs> uh, the factory. That's, you know, that's just me. Um, not really a, a, a Solo or certainly a QT Marshall. Guys, funny, I think I forgot it was somebody on commentary ragging on Kevin. I don't know if it was Kevin Kelly or, or who was somebody said, uh, like, ah, oh, QT Marshall, the man of uh, master the law of diminishing returns or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, the match was fine. It did what it needed to do. It, you know, we got to see Goto and Yoshiashi and, and uh, show, uh, you know, the AEW crowd why they are, you know, one of the best tag teams going right now, specifically in New Japan. And, like you said, that crowd was hot for Hashi as it should have been. Um, it, it just, I think, overall on the show, it was cool to see, you know, not necessarily, you know, the, the crowd be kind of lamed up to so much of the the brilliance that's kind of going on over in New Japan. You can tell that they all fans were very much up on gaming you know, with, you know, needing to, you know, show respect and, you know, the ad, admiration for a lot of these names coming in. So, yeah, but like yeah. you said, it was a solid match. It did what it needed to do, uh, but this kind of felt more like a workout for Goto and, and Hashi, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm looking later down the card, and it's like, you've got Keith Lee and Swerve Strickland there. Why didn't they wrestle Hiroki Goto and Yoshi Hashi and Suzuki go and wrestle people who were actually their size? And thus getting everybody over, because it doesn't matter if Strickland and Keith Lee lose, because they're on a, ooh, can they coexist storyline anyway? So... I don't know, but I, it's just the way it was. And I'm, I'm not Tony Khan, nor am I the New Japan booking crew. So there you go. Alex, what do you think of this? What's the pity? <laughs> a powder would win everything all the time, though. People would be sick I mean, of it. That's, that's pretty similar to New Japan. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, this might, I mean, the QT Marshall thing felt very, let's get the office guy on the show somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, mean, yeah, I, I was. I was like, I don't think QT Marshall's bad. There's just some stuff that looks really dangerous. Yeah, it was more. I mean, it's more how you touched on like Aaron Sol and QT Marshall. Were they the best guys? Maybe to throw it's go to Yoshihashi of like like the AW roster is pretty stacked now, and there are a lot of teams they could have thrown in. So it did feel very like, yeah. Thank you, QT. <laughs> have this match against these guys, <laughs> basically on the big show. Um, but yeah, as you guys touched on as well, it was kind of a theme throughout the show with Goto and Yoshihashi were, like you say, particularly Yoshihashi, really popular <laughs> with the crowd and really over. And it felt like when they stepped through the curtain, they were very like, oh, wow, okay. Because, of course, <laughs> the fans can cheer in America, which yeah. they are still unable to make noise in Japan. So you could see the impact that on the New Japan guys, I think. and 
that helped a lot of the matches probably be even better because of that. And I think, yeah, Yoshihashi was was loving it. <laughs> he was getting such a great reaction. Um, and yeah, obviously lovely that they got on the show. I guess the, the wrinkle was the fact that Goto was technically in the world title eliminator tournament, the AW mm. interim title via the match with Tanahashi. So it does slightly expose the booking that in kayfabe, He's gone because we all knew Tanner was going to win that match, sure, to get the title yeah. shot. But Goto's gone from potentially being in the main event to being in the first pre-show match, which does look a bit silly that they laid it out like that. But to be fair, but that's New Japan booking because uh, Shingo Takagi lost the world title on the first night of Wrestle Kingdom and was in the pre-show pre-show opener on the second night of Wrestle Kingdom. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that's a fair point. So maybe. So, yeah. So if you lose the big match, you tend to have to start again from the bottom. So that that it doesn't. It's not. I, yeah, I understand what you're saying as far as AEW booking is concerned, but New Japan booking is nice. All right. I mean, first match on the pre-show, though, seems brutal. <laughs> first match on the card, at least, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, as we all said, it kind of just did what it said on the tin, which was to show off Goto and Yoshihashi, have them kill some dudes, and off we go, basically. Well, that was it. Well, I mean, if you, if you, just going back to the Wrestle Kingdom thing, I mean, Desperado won the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship and was in that opening tag match. I was on the second match and then lost to um, Master Wato of all people on the second night. So New Japan booking sometimes just doesn't make sense. Anywho, <laughs> yes, let's, let's move on. Uh, Lance Archer back and rolling with Suzuki Goon. He defeated Nick Komaroto in six minutes and eight seconds uh, of the factory. Uh, big lads <laughs> wrestling. They hit each other quite hard. Uh, it kind of got Lance over as an unstoppable force in the uh, G1 Climax as the, they're doing the big Hoss group apparently so he's he's going to be top Hoss in the Hoss of Hoss groups <laughs> I think. The ultimate Hoss. The ultimate Hoss. Uh, indeed it was Kamaroto who died not literally obviously just in the you know Lance Archer beating you sense. Alex your thoughts? Yeah pretty much that it was, it was clearly, <laughs> just, clearly just a way to get Archer on the card somewhere wasn't it because he's going to be doing the G1 Um which is fine, but it was, you know, they're both AEW guys, however much they want to talk up Lance Archer's New Japan connections and the Suzuki Goon Association. He is an AEW employed guy, so it felt very thrown on. Um, what I'll also say is when Archer does do the G1, someone backstage at New Japan needs to have a quiet word with him about toning down his flips because he's already <laughs> had to take time off after landing on his head from a moonsault, you know, months ago. Yeah. Uh, it's Eddie Kingston, I think it was. And then here, first move of the match, cannonballs into the ring and nearly lands on his head again. It's like, dude, chill out a little bit. <laughs> you don't need to do this many flips when you are just a massive man who people want to see... People just want to see him beat people up. He, can, you know, he doesn't need to be flipping all the time. Um, <laughs> I, 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 there's brilliantly, Al, um, Andrew Everett, who used to wrestle for Impact, has debuted with D, with DDT today as Andrew the Giant Everett, and he is basically <laughs> this junior heavyweight who wrestles like Andre the Giant. Love that. <laughs> it's just, just the best thing ever. Um, so yeah, so if you, if you, if you know, he just definitely does not. I just love the entire concept of Andrew Everett just 
being the giant. <laughs> this slightly taller than average dude. <laughs> oh, carry on, what sorry. you say is Lance Archer is trying to be Rey Mysterio, basically. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, he's like an unbelievable athlete. But, mm. I mean, but again, it is just like, you know, you don't have to. Yeah, you know, I think with this match, it's like people just wanted, you know, five or six minutes of yeah. five six minutes of two big lads beating each other up, and when it was that, it's it's fine. Like it's just a hoss fight, <laughs> isn't it? and then yeah, he he wins with the blackout and job done. Um, so yeah, please please try not to land on your head again, lads. It's very <laughs> scary. Marcus, your thoughts, sir. Yeah, I think the noise you made when you were initially talking about the match, James, something. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a, a, a clash of man meat. Um, you say this is the house of it all. It always perplexes me when somebody like Arthur feels like he, uh, they need to uh, channel the inner Sammy Guevara. Um, you know, it's one of the things, like you said, just because you can do something that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to. You know, I remember watching who that was, uh, Donovan Dijak back in Ring of Honor when he kind of yeah, yeah. very much in that same realm. It's like, man, like, I get it, but, like, do you? Because I, like, <laughs> it's not necessary, man. A lot of that stuff can go left because these guys are so long, um, you know, body-wise, a lot of that stuff can go left. I, I question the same situation, we're going to get to him in a second, when, when uh, Keith Lee does it. You know, and he's more, you know, wide in that regard. So when he's trying to do like a tiger uh, flip out of the ring, if you will, tiger space flip out of the ring, I'm like, I get it. And I, I get that this audience is kind of honed around those kind of moves just so they can get to the holy S and this is awesome chance. But, you know, that doesn't necessarily tell the story that I hit home harder. Um, but, yeah, just like the kind of the first match, it was kind of like a workout thing for Lance Archer. Um it's going to be interesting seeing where he goes, but yeah, just uh, it, it, it was what it was. Okay, then we move on next to Swerve in Our Glory, Keith Lee and Swerve Strickland, who are currently having issues, shall we say. Uh, they defeated El Desperado and Yoshinobu Kanemura, Suzuki Goon, 12 minutes and 8 seconds. Once again, Despi as over as Rover in this particular match and did an awful lot to make this work. Kanemaru's absolutely what's become his infamous full court press of just throw caution to the wind and fly at everything and hope something sticks was brilliant for this kind of match because obviously wrestling somebody who's literally three times the size of him. Uh, it was a lot of fun for what it was. Um, it was, yes, it was the best match of uh, the uh, buy-in by far, I think. But again, it would have been so much nicer if Despi and Kanemura had somebody to wrestle who was the same size as them. Um, Marcus, what do you think? Yeah, definitely the best of... Uh... Certainly the best matches to uh, buy in, like you said. Um, I really dig Swerve and Our Glory. Uh, they're a unique tag team. They kind of put them together and, you know, instead of sinking, they kind of swimming-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say ish because of, the, you know, the whole will they, won't they storyline that they got going on. Uh, very cool to see Suzuki going, of course. Uh, long-time guy that we've been backing for years. Despy finally getting that glory um, that he rightfully deserves. But, uh yeah, I mean, they certainly could have got the win because, you know, this is another one of those situations of Lee and, you know, Strickland very much battle-ready, but Suzuki Goon uh, is battle-tested. 
you know, certainly and all the, you know, stuff that they've done in, in New Japan. Um, and and it, it, they did at least make it feel like Lee and Strickland, like, fought to get that victory because they, mm. they was in trouble. Um, so um, it, it was, like you said, definitely the best match on the show. And I, I could definitely see these two go again, obviously, um, with a stronger pair with Lee and Strickland because they very much had to fight. Like I said, to get that win, and then obviously you had to add the match shenanigans, but definitely enjoyed this. Definitely enjoyed this match. I I kind of hoping that Impact had enough sense to put some tapings together this week while they've got Despi and Kanemura in the US, because a lot of the kind of cross chatter of Forbidden Door stuff happened a couple of years ago when Despi saw uh, Motor City Machine Guns winning the Impact Wrestling titles, um, and Despi quote tweeted one of the impacts it goes and went oh me and nobu could have them <laughs> and i would love to see that if, if impact had got any sense they'd be on the phone to agents as we spoke but we'll see what happens there alex what's your thoughts on this one yeah agreed with you guys again it was the best match on the pre-show it was it was a really good little match this um we know that despi and kanemaru one of new japan's probably most underrated acts. Um, so it was like really nice to see him get showcased here. Like you say, maybe not the right pairing when you really think about it, but it it was it was a phenomenal match. Like they got a good amount of time to have the match as well. Probably could have been on the main show even, but it makes sense, I guess, to have something like this on the buy-in to make you know people want to tune in before the main show and get people hyped for the main show. Um as you touched on, um, I think a lot of people were expecting Swerving Our Glory to implode um, in this one because they've been teasing the breakup since that Battle Royal a few weeks ago mm. where Swerve obviously tricked him and threw him out. Um, can they coexist? It turns out they can for now, <laughs> um, which that obviously is like an overplayed trope in US tag wrestling, but I think it worked okay for this one because they teased the the dissension just enough for it to work and then they fought through it and won um and i want them to continue because i'm really enjoying the team i think the feud with team taz has been a lot of fun so hopefully they keep it going a little bit longer um the the false finish at the end with kanemaru spraying the whiskey into keith lee's eyes was also great because you fully bought into that being the ending and with the underlying threat of swerve maybe turning on them if they lost as well um but yeah, they obviously kicked out. They had that great sequence at the end where Swerve leapt off Keith's back to kick Kanemaru, took Despi out. The crowd were like big, big on their feet for that one. And then uh, Keith Lee got the win. Um, the big takeout, we need a Swerve versus Despi singles match because their <laughs> interactions were so good in this match. So whether it's AEW or New Japan, they they need to book that somewhere because yeah that needs to happen I think. Oh, well, I mean, it is Despy such an anti wrestler? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> he's wonderful. I love the guy, but he is just like the opposite of everything he faces, and therefore negates everything he goes along. And that's what makes like you know he spent most of his career trying to figure out how to beat aerial guys. Well, you beat aerial guys by not letting them get in the air. <laughs> so, so you know that's what makes him great. And so Strickland's a Brilliant wrestler for him to go up against. I think that would be excellent. Uh, so we finished the opening of the show with the, quite frankly, bizarre Max Caster <laughs> and the Gun Club, Austin Gunn, Billy Gunn, and Carlton Gunn, except for Austin Gunn and Carlton Gunn weren't there. 
having been tricked into leaving by Danhausen. Uh, Anthony, Bowen, Anthony Bowen's offering support from a wheelchair. <laughs> and they defeated Alex Coughlin, Kevin Knight, the DKC, and Uwe Uramura in five minutes and 35 seconds, which is how did two guys beat five guys, or four guys, I should say? I, and it didn't make a whole lot of sense, but it was there. I think most of all we can say it happened. Alex, <laughs> your thoughts? It certainly did happen. It was very strange the way it was booked. Um, I mean, first of all, given their proper name, the ass claimed. You know, ah, yes, yes, of course. Sorry, I do apologize <laughs> for being remiss. <laughs> I have to say, I've been really enjoying the the acclaimed and gun club combo because it is just really silly, entertaining stuff <laughs> where they're just getting to lean into their character work. Um, does look like I don't know if that association's done after dynamite this week, which would be a shame, but we'll we'll see what happens there. But yeah, the match was just odd, it was essentially like an extended angle to get them to dynamite this week with the Danhausen stuff. Um, great song, obviously you can't deny that, but there's an odd decision to have them run backstage. And like you say, it's a two on four match. So how have they then won? I, I was watching it with, with my friend and we were both just waiting the whole time and talking the whole time of like, I wonder when they're going to come back. And you, you know, it felt just yeah. like Austin and Colton would just come back in the end help the team win and yeah we've all had a laugh it's a fun finish and then that just didn't happen the the two guys just beat the four guys it was it was odd because obviously the dojo guys didn't really get a chance to shine or stand out either um Yuya did a bit obviously but that was about it so yeah, it was a weird way to to book the match and go about ending the buy-in like they might they probably should have ended with the swerve in our glory Despi Kanemaru match, so they go into the pay per view hot, but there you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Marcus, yes. another air. Yeah. Marcus, your thoughts again. You're killing it with the noises, James. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, uh, I'm right there with Alex, man. You could have just went into the pay per view, this didn't need to happen. Typically, <laughs> when you, you know, I never root against New Japan Dojo, love those guys. And uh, it's always great to see them, you know, go against these uh, more experienced, if you will, guys with, you know, beating them with the fundamentals. Didn't get a lot of that because all the shenanigans that comes along with, you know, the, the ass claimed. So, uh, yeah, they, they could have made this a post-show exclusive for me. Like that, they could have went straight into the show. Coming off of that that hot tag team match and going right off into, you know, the granddad of all, all evil with Minoru. But uh, yeah, like you said, it happened. And then you know the fact that it was five minutes, you know, uh, that was about right. Yes, um, I mean, I suppose it was also a bit of a kind of um, palate cleanser, as Vince McMahon used to say, to get you to the main show, which started out hot and heavy and really didn't slow down for the first four matches. So I suppose it wasn't that bad in the overall pacing of the show. And if I have one complaint about this show, it is the pacing. But we'll get to that shortly. On to the main show, though. And Minoru Suzuki and the Jericho Appreciation Society of Chris Jericho and Sammy Guevara accomplished by, accomplished, accompanied by Taya Conte. And they defeated Eddie Kingston, Shota Umino and Wheeler Yuta in 18 minutes and 58 seconds of an arena-wide brawl. The winner of this match would have the man advantage of blood and guts on Wednesday on Dynamite. What a surprise. In a war games type scenario, 
it was the heels who took the advantage. <laughs> uh, there you go. Uh, but yeah, this was a lot of fun to be had whilst it was going on, though. Shota Umino is going to be a massive star in Japanese wrestling. And he's back on the road again after this match where, um, uh, you know, uh, Jericho, the wizard, threw another fireball in his face. This afternoon, he's wrestling up against Lycos Jim in Tag Match Road Pro today, this afternoon. Flow back to the UK to wrestle in Sheffield, of all places. So there you go. He's a man in demand all over the world. Uh, Wheeler Utah is freaking Wheeler Utah. He's exceptional. Eddie Kingston. I described this and a couple of people have said online. This was like Uncle Eddie looking after the kids for the weekend kind of vibes to it. <laughs> and they were absolutely right. <laughs> but this was great. I really thoroughly enjoyed it. Minoru Kazuki being Minoru Suzuki because he doesn't care. And I love the pitch that Kevin Kelly said. Chris Jericho's pitch to Minoru Suzuki was, you get to beat up Eddie Kingston. And that's just pretty much all Minoru needs. Marcus, what's your thoughts on this one? Yeah, this was a fun one, man. I think that, you know, I think I enjoyed more even uh, even more in hindsight, just kind of framing it like Uncle Eddie looking after the kids, which, you know, it's, it's, it's cantankerous Uncle Eddie. Uh, <laughs> the, only other, the only other person that's in the neighborhood this weekend is mean old death granddad, Minoru Suzuki. <laughs> He's allowed his friend Chris to come over to a house party with Sam Guevara and his girl. And... <laughs> And words were exchanged, and all of a sudden, now you're having the six-man tag. And uh, things go off the way that they do. Like you said, Eddie's going to be Eddie. Great exchange with Minoru. I'm sure he's still feeling, even now. Um, Umino is, is is ace, and Willa Utah is just brilliant. Uh, and, you know, this was a fun match, but ultimately the repercussions were more so on the, the match that was to come with blood and guts. So they, they took the L because... Obviously, you know, the heels with, with Jericho and his club and whatnot. But uh, it was still a, a good, fun one to watch. And, uh, yeah, I can't it's, – it's hard to argue with Minoru getting the win, you know, so. There you go. Alex, what did you think of this one? Yeah, the, the stipulation, I'm glad I completely forgot about that while I was watching the match that that was the stipulation <laughs> because, like you say, it kind of telegraphs what the finish is going to be. Yeah. Obviously, if the booking follows logic, because I know uh, TNA have tried it with like lethal lockdown matches in the past where they have the baby faces having the advantage, it never works. It never, ever works. Of course it doesn't. No, it's like how you know the baby faces have to be the underdog. It's how yeah. this works. It's literally every story ever, not just wrestling. Like, you can't have the good guys have an advantage. No. Um, that's it. That's that's the thing. I mean, that's that's the reason why the Swerve Strickland and uh, Keith Lee match against Despy and Nobu is a bit of a misnomer because it's like Despy's really popular, Nobu's fairly popular. They're smaller <laughs> and they're the underdogs. So let's put them in against these two hefty blokes and hope it works. <laughs> Sorry, carry on. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the the match itself was was amazing. Like, because um, on paper, it there were al- elements of it where you were like, this almost seems thrown together, but it just works so well because there was so much great talent involved and a lot of super over guys that the crowd are super invested in. Obviously, Kingston, obviously Suzuki being over huge. Yuta is white hot at the moment with mm. everything they've done with him getting in the Blackpool Combat Club, the great story they told there. Um, Sammy, obviously, is so much better as a heel again. <laughs> like, why they were trying <laughs> to push him as a baby face. He just looks and acts like an asshole, and it works so much better when he's just a cocky bad guy. Um, 
I'm really enjoying the Jericho Appreciation Society stuff as well. I know some people think Jericho's getting a bit stale, but I think that's really entertaining me. Sports entertaining me, I suppose. Hey! Hey. Um, And then Shota Umino, who, yeah, we know is great. He got a great showcase here for maybe fans who hadn't seen a lot of him. He got the chance to show off what a great babyface he is, play off the history with Jericho as well from um, back in the day when he was a young boy. Um, And hopefully... As you mentioned, Jericho attacking him with the fireball backstage later on hopefully implies we'll see a bit more of him in AEW as well. Maybe he could join the Blackpool Combat Club or something like that. I think that would be very nice. Um, But yeah, just a blast of an opener, really. Everyone looked great. Eddie Kingston is living his best life at the moment, isn't he? (laughs) Him getting to work with Suzuki and getting to exchange the chops with Suzuki was just magnificent. Just beautiful violence, but just encapsulated what makes both guys so great in the way they were selling it. You know, Kingston was very, I'm hurt, but I'm going to keep hitting you and use this to fire up. And then Suzuki was very... I'm just going to laugh and take the <laughs> time because he's a mad old bastard. Basically. <laughs> Everyone's favorite murder granddad. So yeah, even that was like, if you knew nothing of those two guys before the show, just told you in one sequence exactly who they both are. Um, and yeah, it was, it was just a great pay-per-view opener. Gave you everything you wanted. Yeah, definitely. Um, and uh, yeah, you just can't say anything more about it. It just is kind of exactly what this in the show needed. It needed to set a tone, and by God, it set a tone. And that tone continued in the IWGP Ring of Honor World Tag Team Championship match. FDR, Cash Wheeler, and Dax Harwood defeated Rapingi Vice, Ramiriki Romero, and Trent Beretta reunited for the first time in three, four years. And the United Empire, Great O'Khan, and Jeff Cobb to win the IWGP Tag Team Championships in 16 minutes and 19 seconds. Uh, Dax Harwood going backstage with an injury, very Terry Funk in the 1970s kind of style of storytelling, which gave the FDR a real underdog kind of feel. They're the hottest tag team in the world right now. They've got, they've done arguably the technically, politically impossible by being AAA tag team champions and Ring of Honor tag team champions and New Japan tag team (laughs) champions because Ring of Honor and New Japan both have talent swap agreements with CMLL which I assume Tony Khan knows about when they bought the company Um, so yeah, this was just like, woo, this is intriguing Um, and yeah and this was outstanding I, as you know, I'm not a big fan of multi-man matches, and a lot of these cards, a lot of this card is like, mm, do we have to? Uh, and multi-team matches are even worse. And New Japan has a habit of booking the worst three-way tag team matches ever. And thankfully, they had the right six guys to make this work. Though you had a lack of experience with Great Okan, Rocky Romero and Trent Barretta's ability to work as glue guys and make this whole thing stick together was remarkable they'll be the unsung heroes of this match they were obviously the least popular of the three teams um though rocky is popular by himself and so is trent but they needed to be there to make this match click and that's what made this match click really really well and um i want to make sure they get their due because you know everyone loves okan and we jeff cobb because great okan's just awesome um and you talk about people living their best life um his first post <laughs> his first post after uh, his first post after losing the titles was, it's okay, I flew back to Japan and found some porn stars to sleep with. 
with pictures <laughs> of the porn stars to sleep with. He, he got their consent, obviously, because he's a, a, a nice gentleman. Um, and yeah, so that was that. So, um, uh, Alex, your thoughts? Yeah, I think that's a really good point as well about um, Rocky and Beretta that maybe people hadn't taken into account because I did see quite a bit of these matches. Like you touched on, there are a lot of multi-man matches and people were like Rapongi Vice were kind of the other guys because obviously they didn't come in with a title or anything like that. But yeah, they were kind of the glue holding this together, particularly when Dax got taken out. Um and yeah, as you touched on, like Cobb and O'Conn, great, <laughs> just bringing all the crazy power moves. Um, and then you had Beretta and Rocky bringing that athletic stuff, the storytelling, FTR being FTR. Um, great O'Conn, by the way, with one of the all-time great DDT cells, <laughs> which was doing the rounds again this week. Um, and I know he reacted to it as well. Um, but yeah, th- interesting, like you say, about the... FTR stuff with them holding the AAA belt, which the CMLL politics literally affected matches on the show. But apparently, them holding <laughs> all these belts is fine. It's it was yeah. I don't know how they got round that one really, but um, yeah, money, they, lots yeah, and lots of money. <laughs> um, Tony Khan being like, please, we really want them to hold every title. So could we just look the other way on this one? Because um, they're obviously going to win the AEW belts at all, all out, we have to assume, over the Young Bucks. Um, they're, like you say, the hottest tag team in wrestling at the moment. They are having an insane year. Dax Harwood, in particular, <laughs> is like quietly making a play for wrestler of the year, mm. I think, with singles and tag matches he's been having. Um as you said, like the big, the the big thing was him getting hurt early, getting taken out. Which at the time I was like not convinced was a work at all because of the way they did it. it they did it in a very innocuous way, didn't really draw attention to it, the camera work. Even when he went out, the other guys seemed to have a couple of minutes where they were trying to work out the spots without him there so it like mm. the, it seems like it was a work but it was a really well done work because it came across as completely legit and yeah it just increased the kind of tension and fervor for the crowd wanting to see them win because everyone wanted them to win this match basically and they were red hot and obviously when Dax came back as you say doing the Terry Funk spot got such a massive reaction was made for a great finish um the, what I will say on the crowd, just to throw this out as a final point, the one real annoyance with them came during this match because there was a moment where um, I think it was Dax had rolled up and kicked out um, and they were chanting like, you effed up, you effed up, but they hadn't. No. <laughs> the crowd just misunderstood what had yeah. happened because the yeah. count was fine, um, which is obviously live wrestling and stuff like that, but it was very like stop doing that and watch the amazing tag match. <laughs> because, I mean, they still pop massive when FTR hit the big rig and won because, um, yeah, everyone wanted them to win. But that was a bit like, come on, guys, they actually haven't screwed <laughs> up in any way. Like, you've you've screwed up by not realising what's happened. Um, but, yeah, another, like you say, the, the first few matches on this card were just, it was, like, insane how hot, how good they were. Yes, indeed. Marcus, what did you think of this World Tag Team title match to end all World Tag Team title matches? Yeah, man, this was great. I, I used to stand on the opposite end of James in, t- in terms of enjoying uh, 
these multi-man affairs, specifically when it, it has the talent like this to, to actually do the concept justice. Um, it's always weird, though, because you would do these this for the tag teams and, and like it's going to be a triple threat, like make it a triple threat. But um, it, it adds a, another wrinkle, you know, in, in the brilliance of the match when, uh, you know, you kind of got to force your way into the match in a way, specifically if you're the I team out. Um, I think, you know, we we talked about this match on the last uh, show me and James did, and I ended up pulling pulling out, hoping that it was Rapongi Vice getting the win off to James. You know, uh, naturally uh, went with the right choice with the FTO. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's, you know, I think it narratively is why I kind of went with Rapongi Vice. It's been a while since we've seen them together. Obviously, it's been... Um, you know, Rapongi 3K of it all, and Rocky Romero wanted to be ready to go off and kind of, you know, build himself up as a single star. And then Romero keeps his momentum one way or another regardless, but seeing them back together and them kind of being the underdogs and then you seeing why, you know, they were so impactful uh, with, with Hardwood, which I think got even more enhanced when Hardwood had to go to the back, that they, like uh, Alex said, had to be the glue to the match. And you really got to a point where he was pulling for him because they were doing all the right things um, going against Okan and Cobb, who have great chemistry, and it's weird because I've yet to click with Okan until I seen his character on social media. I'm like, oh, I get it now. It works. <laughs> <laughs> get this guy. Cobb's just, you know, always been uh, been brilliant. But yeah, this this was just a fun affair, man. And like James said, FTR is having a banner year. Um, red hot, probably the hottest they've ever been in their career, which is saying a lot with everything that they've accomplished. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was just a brilliant affair, and I'm looking forward to seeing what they do. Hope Harwood, um, you know, gets back to some form of a uh, near 100%, at least before their match, eventual match, like Alex said, with the Bucks. But this was some good stuff. Tag yeah. team at the finals, yeah. All right, then. Next on, we move to the All-Atlantic Championship, which was vacant, because obviously it's not been wrestled before. The four finalists, well, let's do this. One of these things is not the same. Pack. <laughs> Clark Connors, Malachi Black, and Miro went 15 minutes and 10 seconds. The native of your tune pack wins the championship. Clark Connors was thrown into this at the last second to his Tomorishi, as Alex quite pointed point out that he was injured. And um, honestly, looked like he was going to take an ass whooping for 15 minutes. And to be fair, he did. And then in the middle of the match, he put a spear through a table on Miro. I think it was Miro, right? Yeah. Um, and all of a sudden, the crowd went nuts for him, and he could do no wrong. And that, my friends, is how you get yourself over in the most awkward position <laughs> you possibly can. Yeah. Because he really was on a hiding to nothing, and he walked out of that building adored. Because people yeah. might forget some of these incredible spots they saw, but they won't forget Clark Connors and that um, sphere that he yeah. did. And it was just absolutely brilliant. And that was the best thing about this match, in my opinion. I think yeah. the rest of it was great, but I thoroughly enjoyed Clark Connors' work in this. Marcus, your thoughts? Yeah, this is my. I, this is juggling back and forth between my first and second favorite match of the night. Mm. Uh, again, great multi-man affair. Um, huge fan of Pack. We we know what Malachi Black can do. A mirror very much came in with, with a point to prove, and I think he did so because he was very much the bastion of a lot of the ass kicking that was kicked off match throughout this match. Uh, him and Black. Um, but yeah, this was just uh, fun thinking about it. Now I want to go back and watch it uh, from start to finish. And I think I'm right there with you, James. That was the best narrative of the match 
one of these mm. things I liked the other, and it was Clark Connors. He was the odd duck out, but once he got the quacking, it was. <laughs> that is the best analogy I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. Actually, his whole narrative was, and you you saw it during the match. He had to get in where he fit in, yeah. and a lot of that was coming off of him getting, like you said, his 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 head kicked in. But when he did it, it it worked, and the crowd ate it up, and it, it was brilliant. And then you coming off that, and like I said, Miro had so much to prove coming off of his break that he did. And it's funny because he is in the match for the for the newest, um, I guess you would say, middle title in the company when everybody's been calling for him to come back and take the TNT title back. Um, yeah, so for them to end it the way that they did, and I think my second favorite moment was when Pat got it because he – as great as Pac is, you know, he's kind of been the, the, the you know, the third uh, third string, if you will, with the, you know, with the Lucha Bros. You know, he's been consistent, but he's kind of been middling in a way because, you know, Penta, Penta and, and Phoenix is Penta and Phoenix. So Pac's kind of had to kind of squeeze his way in, and I think this is a brilliant way to get the momentum back in the side, and he reminded people in this in this match of why they call him the bastard, so it was good. I mean, I, I can't say enough. I, I, I did stress on quite cameras, but this is the same guy two months ago. I watched having his ass handed to him in Best of Super Juniors for a week. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and then all of a sudden he manhandles Miro like he's a junior heavyweight, and I'm like, oh, actually, you're getting somewhere very quickly. Alex, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean. <laughs> start with the Clark Connor stuff because I absolutely agree. Um, obviously, a shame we got uh, Ishii had to drop out because I think we all wanted to see him square off against Miro. It would have been amazing. Hopefully, that can happen at some point. Um, but yeah, Connor's just a great showing, and the layout, as you kind of touched on, was was smart because people didn't care. He was the late entrant. You know, I don't think a lot of people in the crowd knew who he was. Um, and they were really quiet early on. And then, like you say, when he puts Miro through the table and then he starts kind of cleaning house and getting this big run towards the end, people were buying it. They were like, he could win here, which is, you know, to go from people not being interested in him to wanting to see him win is just such such good work to like lay out the match that way and get him over. Yeah, yeah. Um and yeah, it, it ended up being a really great showcase for him. Obviously he took the uh the the submission, the loss in the end, as he was always inevitably going to, but they made people believe that he could win it, which is amazing. <laughs> um the obviously pack winning is is great um this this new title has obviously been chatted about a lot as well they need another men's single singles title in AEW, especially with all the ring of honor belts and stuff but Mm. i don't mind it so much because i feel like it's gonna get have a bit of a different feel to a tnt title and if it means you know pat gets to hold a belt as as marcus touched on he's kind of not being lost in the shuffle, but maybe not being able to be at the forefront as much as he probably deserves because he is still <laughs> insane. One of the best high flyers <laughs> in the world. And he got to show it off again. Um, and that's why it just clicked so well, the, the four way, because, you know, you had Miro being a beast, Connors, you know, being the breakout guy, being a beast as well. Malachi Black's always great, you know, kicking everyone, basically, um, and Pac doing all his usual insane stuff, which is why it was so, 
so good. And yeah, Pack winning in the end was a was a surprise, but a welcome one. I know AW is massive in the UK as well, so I wonder if that was part of the decision as well, like get the belt on a British guy, especially if they are going to eventually tour over here. I think um, so. Yeah. Um, the one thing that was interesting that I I didn't hear the commentators reference it. Um, I might be wrong, but the Miro and Pack stuff. Because Miro, whether it was kayfabe or not, said when he joined AEW he'd never work with Pac because that was the match where Miro tore his bicep. And they kept kind of playing on it during the match. And I don't think the commentators really realized it. No. Like Miro was pointing at his bicep. I think Malachi interrupted like when <laughs> Miro was beating him up, basically. <laughs> it was like, no, I want to I want to kill him because he did this to me. And whether that was just Miro, you know doing a character thing or what, but it, it was interesting that they kind of wove that into the match as well. I was just surprised that the commentators didn't seem to mention it from, from what I could hear. Like I say, I might have missed it, but there that was, was an, an interesting awful. underlying thing. Yeah, I think there's an awful lot going on on this show. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> every least. match. There's an awful lot going on in this match alone. There's just a lot so to deal with. <laughs> there's just a lot to deal with on this card, generally speaking, and I think we can forgive them for that. Yeah, yes, but it was, yeah it's a great match. Yeah, definitely. Next up was the six-man tag... Well, I say six-man tag team title match. There wasn't a six-man tag team title match. I just felt like there was a title match every other match. Uh, Bullet Club, El Fantasmo, Matt Jackson and Nick Jackson reuniting with Bullet Club for one evening from the Elite. They went up against the reformed Dudes with Attitudes. For those of you who don't know, that was a WCW faction featuring Sting, Lex Luger, the Steiner Brothers... Junkyard Dog and El Gigante. Um, and me and Alex have commentated on an El Gigante match back in the early days <laughs> of the um, Japanese uh, wrestling, <laughs> early days of the Japanese Guide to Wrestling uh, that we do here on the Truth Finish Show. And we described it both as categorically the worst match we'd ever seen. Um, <laughs> it's, which will kind of I give you a run. I remember it, which says a lot. <laughs> Um, it kind of gives you a run of what we're dealing with here when it comes to the dudes with attitudes. I much prefer uh, Kevin Kelly's take on it, which was Stinglenables de Japon. Yeah, that should that should have been what they went with. I think. Yes, I think so. I, it's, I'm, I'm yes. We'll talk about the NATO stuff in the shortly, but it's like this was the least ignorables thing ever. Um, <laughs> and I'd be, I have no idea. I'd like if Roma had been there, I had no idea how he'd have coped. I think he would have just corpsed his way through it. Like, <laughs> friggin' hell, it's Sting. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, I like this match. The fact that you have, what, how old is Sting? 60-odd now? Starting, yeah. yeah, he's 63, and he starts the match with a high cross body off the stage. Well, that's like, whoa, what are you doing? And then it went, it descended into chaos from there. And you can't, you can't argue that. Sting is not... Like, you know, phoning it in with this run. He's trying really hard. And this was just, for what it was, just brilliant. And it was really interesting to watch Shingo doing his usual, like the normal LIJ thing of, you don't stand on the apron in a tag match. You watch it from the floor so you can see what's going on. And I want to realize Darby Allen is thinking, what's he doing down there? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was really, really good. Phantasmo doing all the bits he stole off of the Young Bucks was intriguing. Um, but there you go. <laughs> so yeah, Alex, your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I mean, yeah, Sting has that's his thing now, isn't it? Starting the match, <laughs> well, he's been doing dives a lot, which is 
incredible. Like you say, he's definitely um, not phoning it in this comeback run. But yeah, starting the match that way onto the heels. Of course he did that. <laughs> Teleporting down from the rafters as well to do so. Um yeah, it was just it was just a really fun match, wasn't it? Um and yeah. we've had like a lot of high impact matches, you know, for the first few. And this was like the fun, like you say, almost a palate cleanser because it was for one night only we were getting bullet club books back and they really leaned into it. They were doing <laughs> all the over-the-top annoying bullet club stuff. Along with El Fantasmo, like you say, who's kind of picked up that mantle since and ran with it. Um, the extended back rake spots were incredibly entertaining. <laughs> Matt Jackson doing about 50 cartwheels and backflips, it felt like, to sort of work his way over to the corner to do the back rake. Great stuff. Um, and yeah, Sting's no-sell of the super kick stood out as well, which was the classic or the classic Sting pop moment when he mm. did that. Um, and yeah, I think it was, I say it was fun for what it was. It was a strange mix, but I think it showcased ELP and Shingo pretty well for a new yeah. audience as well. Um, a shame Hiromu wasn't there because I think he would have done probably a couple of insane spots that would have, um, <laughs> yeah, if you'd never seen Hiromu before, would have blown people's minds. But Shingo did a pretty good job of that because he is phenomenal, as we know. Um, and he ended up getting the winning pin as well, which was nice. So, yeah, it was just a, it's a fun middle of the card match, this one. Yes, definitely. And it, it was over Phantasmo and they're in the same G1 block. So that was an intriguing bit of booking. Marcus, what's your thoughts on this one? Yeah, much like you guys. Uh, you know, first off, I think uh, yeah, everything I loved about this match had nothing to do with Bullet Club. Um, <laughs> you know, it was fun. And, 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 and like Alex said, all the shenanigans that came with them, that's just vintage them. And uh, Phantasmo has, for, for better or for worse, has taken on um, all of it. But to me, you know, Sting is displaying like the best way that you could, you know, maybe book somebody at his age and stage in his career. Obviously, um, I kind of watch through my fingers when he goes all Sting Hardy off stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you just realize all he is, you just, I want no harm to come to that man. But um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's fun to watch. And I think the other favorite part of the match was, and I'm going I'm to I'm name it here, Stakagi. When him and uh, yeah, Takaga was basically me, if he was in the ring with Sting, <laughs> it was just epic. Like you, when they did that fist bump, I could you could frame that. Uh, just you know, take a picture of it and frame it. It was great. Um, my most cringeworthy moment of the match was the nipple twist by Phantasma, but it got redeemed by how Sting being a veteran <laughs> that he is, because it was this weird moment where he had to hot tag, but for some reason he didn't see Phantasma in his periphery, and he went outside the ring, and all the fans was like, no, he, like, you completely missed him. He's behind you. And he got back in the ring, got him, and then brought the nipple twist back, going full, um, you know, Invincible Sting, and, and, and did all the things. So it was great. And uh, yeah, this was this was a fun one. This was a fun one. Indeed, I would agree with you. It was nothing but harmless fun. Yeah. Uh, the NATO stuff this week is NATO went on his blog today, um, announced that um, he wasn't invited to Forbidden Door, um, though he had pitched to go to Forbidden Door, and he was quite upset about it, and quite upset that he wasn't used to Forbidden Door. Bear in mind that 
half of NATO's thing is the office hates me. They don't. <laughs> True. <laughs> and, um, you know, everything's against me and, the, the, you know, the world hates me. They don't. So, yeah, <laughs> so it is part of kind of his deal. Um, and I can imagine, you know, uh, NATO's feud against the world. It is also, it's like, you're Tetsuya NATO. You don't watch AEW. You have no idea who these people are. You had no idea who Ko, um, you had no idea who Keno and Nakajima were when you wrestled in <laughs> Noah. <laughs> so yeah, it's it, yeah, it, uh, I, I think they're building to something there, or he's at least trying to write himself something in, which is what Tetsuya Nato does best. Yeah, which is which is a good sign for the next show because he was, yeah, it was conspicuous by his absence. I think for a show yes. like this, he is break glass in case of emergency. Nato as well, though, to be fair, so. And they didn't need him here to make this card swing. So mm. I think that I think it will swing even more with him, and especially when they get people like Danielson. And, and you know, can you imagine Tetsuya versus Brian Nato versus Brian Danielson? That would be of just another. Well, you hope they both have necks left by the end of it. But anyway, we'll see. <laughs> uh, right, next up was Thunder Rosa versus Tony Storm. Ten minutes and forty-two seconds. Thunder Rosa retaining the AEW Women's World Championship. This was the only bum note on the whole card and it was nothing to do with Thunder Rosa and Tony Storm it was just in the wrong place on the card because you'd had four matches of non-stop excitement then all of a sudden you've got these two come out and there was noticeable not disappointment but they just didn't get the pop they deserved and it wasn't fair because Thunder Rosa is one of the most overperformers in AEW Tony Storm has been trending on my Twitter for three months she's never off like Tony Storm, is, I, I look up in the morning, turn my phone on, look at Twitter, and it'll say trending Tony Storm. So I know she's she's popular. I know Thunder Rosa is popular. So why this match was here just when it shouldn't have been after all of the exhausting stuff, it was a bit unfair on both of them. Match was perfectly fine. It wasn't great, and I think a second go around will do them much better. But it was suffering from the apathy of the fans, which is unusual for both of them, and I think that's the problem. Marcus, your thoughts on this one? Man, just everything you said. You know, Thunder Rose is one of the best going, one of my favorites to watch. I think her, her uh, uh, fashion acumen, both casual and ring is, is, you know, damn near maybe only matched by Bianca Belair uh, right now. Um, and Tony Storm, I don't know many, if anybody, that dislikes Tony Storm. Like you said, she's been trending on, you know, Twitter months. Um, but but it but I 100% agree with you. It did feel like there was a gear that this match didn't get to, and and a second go round would do them well. I also think it do them well because, like you said, this this match didn't get necessarily the momentum it should have gotten uh, in the place on this card. Um, but that's not to take away from the match. They all these aren't two women that don't give it, you know, 100%. Um, so um, I, I dug the match, but it, some did feel off, you know. So yeah. I definitely. Uh, uh, definitely think of rematches in order. If this had headlined Dynamite or Rampage two weeks from now, yeah, it would have been fine. And yeah. it would have been over and it would have been built to and it would have been great. But just to, here, it was like a gym stock on a shower rod. It's just like, oh, it just yeah. doesn't work. But no, there's nothing wrong with the match. It just... Alex, what's your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, exactly that. It was the wrong card for it, really, and the wrong place in the show. And just a strange fit because it was essentially an all AEW match on a, a card that's being promoted as this big crossover event. Um, 
you know, obviously appreciate that AEW wanted to get a women's title match on the show, and it was a great matchup to give us. But like you say, it was it was very good, not great. Basically, you know, it was they, yeah. they can definitely have a better match than this with a second go around. You know, it felt like there's been a lot of talk around this of why there wasn't some kind of stardom involvement, but I'm assuming that's because New Japan and stardom are doing that show later this year. Yeah, yeah. In November is like their first crossover show. So in that sense, it kind of makes sense that they they don't want to give away, you know, a cross-promotional <laughs> match here when they've got their own cross-promotional show. Um, I don't know if there's any issues with AEW working with Tokyo Joshi Pro as well, and if there's anything there. Um, well, there isn't, there isn't any problems with them working with DDT, and it's the same company. They okay, so there you go. Yeah. So I think it probably is more the cross that they've got their own cross promotional show, which yeah, yeah. I mean, they they did push the fact that Tony was you know a former Stardom champion, try and play that up. Um, obviously, if people don't know, Bushi Road own both New Japan and Stardom. I'm sure people yeah. who listen to this podcast know that. But, Appar- um, apparently, Milano and Jushin Liger have been pushing it on the Japanese commentary as well, because obviously they they're trainers at the Stardom mm-hmm. dojo, so. They know more of the history of stardom than the other commentators. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's I, it's not the most tenuous uh, connection of promotions on these things. I mean, the most tenuous mm. one I've seen all years was Eddie Edwards representing Noah at uh, <laughs> the Wrestling Multiverse of Impact Wrestling back at Yes, I remember Wiki that Road, one. Actually. Which is like, but he hasn't wrestled for Noah in four years, lads. <laughs> there, were, there were a few of those on like independence, and it was like this person's representing this promotion. It's like, but they also work for Ring of Honor and they also work <laughs> for PWG. So it doesn't, yeah, it never quite worked. Um, and yeah, the, yeah, it, it it is a shame in that sense because if they could have had a full stardom crossover match you know imagine if you know Kyrie Hojo's just come back imagine yeah. if she popped up as even like a surprised third person in this match the place would have gone nuts so yeah that, I think that kind of deflated it a little bit um mm. you know and like you say it was a good it was a good match but they've got an absolute banger in them and I hope they did quite a clean finish, which I hope doesn't harm the chance of them doing a, a second match. But they did have Tony kick out of the Thunder Fire, Fire Thunder Driver, from what I remember. So they kind of built it up as they could do a second match. Um, and look, Tony, Tony Storm might say is great. And it's just great to see her in there on big shows, <laughs> enjoying wrestling again. If Obviously, if people have listened to her doing the rounds on podcasts um in the last couple of weeks she's she's not got great things to say about her time <laughs> and what it did to her love of wrestling so that is that is definitely a positive to see her in these big matches enjoying wrestling again indeed yeah for sure right then we move on to the next match where one of the greatest professional wrestlers in the world today who's known for his athleticism his poise and his ring presence wrestled will osprey <laughs> Oh, flip that! We knew input. it was coming, but it was still, it was still good. <laughs> Orange Cassidy lost to Osprey, the IWJC United States Heavyweight Title. Um, this was well, this was everything you expected it to be. It was all a bit ridiculous and topped off with the most <laughs> over-the-top possible reaction you have to a beatdown, which is of course where who who do you get to come out to end the beatdown? Katsuyori Shibata, who can kill you with a death glare. So yes, this was this this, and you've got the photographic moment of Orange Cassidy hanging out with Katsuyoshi Bata, which is just excellent and just exactly what you want, and this kind of silliness. 
And, you know, all right, Osprey was there. I need him to make the match work as well, obviously. Uh, but props to Orange Cassidy for being the awesome wrestler he is. I've been a big fan of his for a long, 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 long time when he was getting very weak payoffs in Shikara many, many years ago. And so to see him on this big stage and be such a massive star is very pleasing to me. Mm. Alex, what's your thoughts? Yeah, well, to put the issues with Osprey aside for one second, <laughs> <laughs> for the sake of talking about the match, um, it was fantastic. Like you say, it's what everyone kind of hoped it would be. Again, <laughs> Andrade apparently was the original choice to wrestle Will Osprey, and then politics got in the way of that. Yeah. So I think people maybe were a bit down on Orange Cassidy being the guy because, again, he's almost a, a victim sometimes of how good the gimmick is because people forget that when he's, you know, he does the comedy stuff very well, but when he does the athletic high-flying stuff, he is one of the best guys at doing that as well. And, yeah, where you felt like they would really mesh the styles and we'd get a great match, and they did deliver that. Um and it did work very well with Orange doing the hands in the pocket stuff, frustrate the heel early on, because Osprey, for his faults, can be very over, to- over the top as a heel. And that worked very well in terms of him reacting yeah. to that stuff um, and just sold it so much to the crowd of this is going to be a very fun, but very athletic, wild type of match. Um and yeah, the, the finish, I mean, there was loads of good stuff along the way, too much to, to talk about. The fans <laughs> were losing their minds with some of the counters and stuff. But the finish obviously had Osprey hitting the hid, hidden blade, which I completely bought as the finish, but Orange kicked out, which was really well done. Osprey hit Stormbreaker to win, which, to be fair to him, he hadn't, he'd smartly not used on any other AEW show in the build-up. So it was, you know, he mm. saved that for the big show, which is what you should do. Um, underlying story of Juice Robinson watching on as well, and that storyline going on <laughs> Tony Storm himself. Um, with, yeah, it was it was a shame in the sense that obviously he did the backstage promo um, and was watching on, but they didn't necessarily do anything more with that on the show. But... What we did get post-match was pretty bloody good, <laughs> to be fair, with, with the suit coming out, because they also subverted expectations massively there, because I don't know about you you guys, but I'd heard that Toriano was in the building. Oh, yeah. So yeah. I thought that would be the guy who would come out, because <laughs> Yano and Orange Cassidy and Best Friend, you can see that being a very funny moment, but they sent out Shibata <laughs> to, to get the massive well, yes, pop. I mean, great. I mean, Orange is a member of Chaos. We know that. Of course. Of yep. course, because he's in Best Friends. Um, and so, yeah, I, I that was the obvious thing to do. Chelsea has fallen, um, did tweet the show to say that it's your fault I love Toro Yano. <laughs> I think I think we've all had that because I was not big on Yano when I first started doing no. this podcast. But I made now... you like him exactly. No, yeah, I, 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 I too I, I too suffer from Yano via James. Yeah, <laughs> that's been the conversion. big thing that James has accomplished with this podcast. <laughs> made everyone a fan of Terry. Other people just hate him. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, nice for Carl Fletcher and Mark Davis as well to be on this show when they've not really done, they've done a fair bit for New Japan Strong, but they've not done an awful lot for New Japan. So they barely qualify as New Japan wrestlers, but they were on this show. I was, I was surprised they didn't get a match because they've been on Dynamite and Rampage quite a bit to build yeah. 
the Osprey Orange Cassidy match and they've been really good. <laughs> so it was yeah, it was a strange thing going on the buy-in or anything like that, I thought. Yeah. So yeah, no, it was I it was good. I can't deny it wasn't good. I obviously for me it was more like Orange was great because I can't stand Osprey, but yeah, it, it worked. And Marcus, your thoughts. Sorry, Mark, is that going Alex first? I was just gonna say and Shabbat wore Orange Cassidy yeah. sunglasses, okay, which is yeah. just a great moment. That's it. Yeah, of course it is. Another. Mark, Marcus, your thoughts. Yeah, that's another moment you frame. Um, yeah, man. I mean, I think first of all, you you want to talk about MVPs of the night. Um, like you said earlier, James Rapongi did their thing. You gotta you gotta shout out Clark Connors, um, Sting because he Sting, uh, Takagi because you know I always gotta get Takagi credit, and you got to shout out Owens Cassidy. Um, I'm, I'm listening to stuff before this this big show and people doing predictions and whatnot, and everybody was talking about this match like, you know, Will Osprey got thrown orange like he was a piece of meat or something, and like Osprey was gonna be doing him favors like this, you know, it was gonna be like not even breaking a sweat for him, and I knew otherwise because obviously everything we you know knew uh, seen from orange beforehand. Uh, and I want to say everything I like about this match had nothing to do with Osprey, but you know, uh, the guy the guy is good, and it, it wouldn't work. It, you know, <laughs> to Alex's point, if he wasn't the character that he is and does the stuff that he do and it plays it played so well off Orange, that this is probably like I said, um, maybe my my second favorite match of the night, just because of they put on a hell of a show. Like anybody that was talking noise, I think I shut up by this match because of how brilliant it ended up being. Um, and then to cap that off with Shibata, who, like, I don't know who I want to put behind a glass of a snow globe more just to protect <laughs> Like, him or Sting. I think I just want to put both yeah. of them. Like, nobody touch either one of them. Just let, <laughs> let both of them get their SHIT in and go to the back. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was just a great, you know, great match, great moment after the match. And, uh, yeah, this is uh, obviously I didn't expect Orange to get the win. But I expected him to do exactly what he does. You got to tip your hat off because it's very hard for people to do what he's doing for as long as he's done it and still proud engaged. In this day and age of wrestling, when everything's all feel like all curtains have been pulled back, you know you got to you got to give him that credit. I think I think as well, and this is to quote our good friends John Dinsdale, is one of the reasons why it worked. Isn't it wasn't a standard Will Ospreay match. You know, Osprey does have a pattern match at times, and he's got to get his moves in and stuff. And he couldn't do that here. He had to think different because Orange Cassidy's Orange Cassidy, and you've got to think different. And that's the reason why this worked. It didn't just mm. the beats weren't the same because it and it just fitted, and that was really cool. Um, yeah. Okay, we move on to the next match. Claudio Castagnoli making his AEW debut, defeated Zack Sabre Jr. in 18 minutes and 26 seconds. This was just brilliant because he's Claudio Castagnoli and he's that Sabre Jr. How can you miss? <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it's like shooting fish in a barrel. <laughs> Here's two of the best workers of the last 25 years. Go. There you go. There you go. That's it. Watch back. And let's have You can't complain with this. Uh, Zach did one of the best promos afterwards, uh, which was just, I understand Claudio didn't get the moment. It's supposed to be a technical wrestling match. Yeah. <laughs> Um, which you know, which is fair enough to Zach, because I was kind of hoping for something a bit more technical. And this was because it was a big hit and hope match. But Claudio Castagnoli is outstanding. Um, 
But there's some storyline stuff that happens later on in the evening, which, of course, we'll have to talk about then. However, for now, Claudio Castanoli versus Zack Sabre Jr. Marcus, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, once he came out, and, and I think my only side point about this match is kind of it got spoiled on Twitter before the match. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you kind of want moments like this to be a genuine surprise. But I think more than anything, and this has become a trend, I'm sure the two of you agree, like the match is is brilliant. I think that goes without saying. It's 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 Claudio and it's, it's Zack Sabre Jr. Um, to put these two together, it's like like you said, how could you miss? But the level of sheer joy that so many of these uh, talent who have been on excursion have when they come out uh, or they re-debut in these companies for the first time, it's 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 brilliant. That that moment he did with the cameraman, brilliant. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, you know the sheer ability that he had to just bask in the adoration that he was getting from the genuinely getting from the crowd. I think was probably my favorite moment of this whole thing. Um, yeah, and also he kicked it off like I didn't come here to play. I came here to get this three, get you this three second tan, and I know it threw Zach off. But you know, I think that was a great start to you know a phenomenal match. And this is definitely one of these. This is definitely. One of the matches that you go back and watch on this on this show, for sure, yeah, definitely. It's 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 going to stand the test of time as far as wrestling is concerned, and it's a great way of like debuting Claudio. But like, I think you're right in the sense of, a part of me says I'm old school, and it's like they should have announced Claudio, and then that's going to build more anticipation for his debut. But I understand what you're saying about the surprise. Alex, what's your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I think I think it went down quite well this debut to be honest <laughs> with the crowd um obviously you know as a starting point it does suck that we can get danielson versus saber here but that's gonna happen <laughs> eventually we know that and as the backup option <laughs> this was pretty great um and obviously claudio is perfect as like the new bcc member so that is great and the storyline implications there which are going to be really good to watch um and yeah, they, they obviously brought forward his debut. I think there was talk he was going to come in at like Ring of Honor, Death or Dishonor, maybe. Um, and they brought it forward here. And I think it ended up just working perfectly and being even better. Um, as you guys mentioned, like the, the start of the match was just so good. Like they capitalized on the big buzz and the big pop of the of Claudio being the surprise and just went straight into like carrying that into the match and mm. keeping that vibe going. Um, and it made it feel completely different to everything else on the show as well, that he just charged at Zach, uppercutted him, hit the neutralizer, everyone bit on it being the finish, even though obviously if he'd actually pinned him there, it would have been terrible because <laughs> people wanted a really good match. But in the moment you completely bought it that they could do it. Mm. Um, and yeah, as you say from there, you, you can't miss with two of the best in the world. Um, Sabre's technical stuff, Claudio's high impact stuff. It was just a lovely time. Obviously, spot of the match being Claudio carrying Zack Sabre Jr. back to the ring, one-armed, while Zack was trying to put the arm bar on him, um, <laughs> which was great. Um Claudio winning, obviously, in the end, made the most sense. I know there'll be people maybe worried about Zack Sabre Jr. losing, but to me, they got everything bang on because 
your Claudio obviously needs to win because he's the hot new debut. He's going into Blood and Guts the following Wednesday. He has to win. But then Zach, like you said, James, has the heel excuses ready to go of he obviously didn't get the memo that this was supposed to be a technical <laughs> wrestling match. And he complained to the fact, you know, he wasn't ready. He wasn't expecting this opponent, opponent, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I don't think they'll have any issues in terms of, you know, building to Brian versus Zach. Well, no, because all, 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 no, all they have to do is get Zach to the semifinal of the, of the G1 and he's, and he's back and that's fine. Yeah. Yeah, and you so, know, yeah. Yeah. it's a dream match regardless. They won't do it till the next Forbidden Door, you'd imagine now. So, there's, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> People don't <laughs> need to worry about that. Certainly not. Right then, move on to the IWGP World's Heavyweight Championship. Jay White successfully defended against Adam Cole, Adam Page, and Kazuchika Okada. 20 minute, 21 minutes and five seconds of an exceptionally good professional wrestling match. A lot of I, the things I dislike about Four Ways were kind of negated in this because it wasn't wait for the guy to do a spot wrestling. There was lots more interaction. It did work out fairly well. I'd have much preferred Jay White versus Adam Page and Kazuchika Okada versus Adam Cole in two separate matches. That would have been ideal. <laughs> but compromises are made on shows like this, and this kind of allowed things to happen in a much more, you know, streamlined way. Adam Cole was getting pinned. No matter what happened, all ends up, no doubt that Adam Cole was getting pinned in this match. That was the bit that made it predictable. It was just a question of who was going to pin him. And Jay White's the obvious one because he didn't get the big run with the championship last time and you're trying to establish him as top heel. So they have to do the job with him. And Adam Cole is, is sorry, Adam, uh, so Jay White is top dog in New Japan Pro Wrestling right now and will be for the foreseeable future. Um, and he's the best heel they've got. In fact, to be honest, he's the best heel in pro wrestling. So, yeah, yeah right result <laughs> with the right guys. Um, Alex, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, a few things to touch on with this one. Obviously, weird to talk about in a way because you can't talk about it without the, the context of the finish as well. And, you know, it obviously went home a few minutes earlier than planned because of this injury to Adam Cole. But... Mm. As you touched on, it was a fantastic match before that. And I think some people have kind of forgotten that in talking about the yeah. finish. Um, because everyone played their role perfectly. The crowd was super hot. Like, Okada was so over. Which is weird, because a lot of people were saying no one would knew, know who he was. But oh, no, no. Out... But yeah, but they're bad faith actors. They're yeah, oh, yeah. These are, the same, these are the same people who say, well, it'll never make any money. And it sold out in 40 minutes. They're the exactly, same people who say, yeah. no one will buy it on pay-per-view. And it's just like... No, you're just the only people that, like that Burke who writes for Forbes who said that only <laughs> men watch only men watch AEW and New Japan Pro Wrestling. It's like because because they just get clicks. That's the reason why I do it. Yeah, that was my Sorry. particular favorite one of like a bad faith take on the situation with you know that it's one of the most watched products by women. <laughs> like that's well known. <laughs> so it's just yeah, it's just bollocks. But yeah, I mean. Even if you didn't know who Kazushiko Okada was watching this match, if you were watching it, you know, New Japan for the first time, he walks out and you go, well, that guy's a star. Obviously, <laughs> obviously that guy's incredible. And within like a couple of minutes of him wrestling, he's, you know, he's one of the best to ever do it. He's going to get over immediately. Um, and it was the same with, you know, the match as a whole. It's four really talented professional wrestlers. So... As you said, it didn't fall into the traps of other four ways. Everything was kind of 
really fluid, really well timed, loads of counters and big moments. Um, you know, big counters like Cole super kicking Page off a of moonsault, stuff like that. Okada countering the Panama Sunrise into an air raid crash. Um, the big build to the drop kick from Okada, I don't think got the reaction it should have done from the US audience because that is, of course, the best drop kick in the business. But um, yeah, Jay White, glorious as ever, he is the best heel in the business. Um, and did his the thing, the other thing he's best in the business at is the late, slow two kick out, which we got one here <laughs> as well, which he is the best at doing that. Um, but yeah, it's ultimately why I think people were so deflated by the finish because it was 100% the right call to just go home because Adam mm. Cole clearly couldn't continue. As you said, Adam Cole was clearly going to take the pin for political reasons, for, you know, to further the storyline with, with Jay White, this undisputed elite bullet club thing they've got going on. Adam Cole had turned on Jay White in the match um, and everything else. Um but it just felt like they had to then scramble. They couldn't sort of call an audible and have, you know, Jay White pin Okada because it was agreed that Adam Cole was taking the pin. <laughs> That's why it just felt a bit weird at the end, which was a shame. But yeah. everything leading up to that was amazing. Adam Cole's obviously now can work that in when he comes back of Jay White just taking advantage of him being injured. So they'll they can fully make that play into the story anyway. It's just, um, yeah, it's a shame because we definitely would have got about five more minutes of them just doing all these insane spots even more. <laughs> Marcus, what's your thoughts on this one? Yeah, first, first off, I love James's version of calling people flat skin. Um, <laughs> sec- secondly, the women don't watch New Japan. I'm like, have you ever seen Tanahashi? <laughs> <laughs> Felt like a woman looking at Tanahashi. <laughs> but no, uh, and, and thirdly, that custom robe that Okada came out with cost more than any opinion. That any of those clowns. <laughs> that was truly ace. But um, yeah, just everything you and Alex said, man. It just um, the reason why this this match clicked is because everybody, you know, obviously everybody got their moves and whatnot in, but but it was the characters that came out first, like the going back and forth. It was just the face versus the heels, and so many of the situations naturally. Um, and also, like, you got a lot of history between these guys. And, you know, Adam feels like he has, once again, something to prove uh, coming off of being an AEW world champion because Zuska is, you know, you know, still at the top of the mountain. Cole, this just feels like he deserves everything. Um, and, and Jay White, like I said, one the, the best heel going, you know. So all, all that thing came together well. And, you know, finish aside, um, these guys put on a hell of a four-way. So, um it was a, uh, you know, obviously you thought that finish, and you you were hoping that ultimately it just, uh, besides people may maybe disappointed, you want Cole to be okay, but uh, you know, I think they, you know, again, professionals, so they did what they needed to do, and they they went on, but we got a great match before that, so um, we'll see this in some form of fashion again, you know. Yeah, definitely. Right then. Also, I would say, as sorry, a final thing, because you were saying about um wishing it was two singles matches. I actually mm. disagree because I think they're never going to do probably a four-way title match in New Japan. And I think if you want to add an extra element of difference to seeing something different on a show like this, I thought that was, yeah, an interesting way to do it. That's fair enough. I don't want to see anything different, though. 
<laughs> I just I like what I like. <laughs> yeah, I like what I like. I like singles matches. I actually thought Jeddo had fed Jeddo some crack to be able to get a four-way match in a championship. <laughs> but I because Jeddo hates that's, it as well. So that's fair. I just thought I'd throw in a. I I can understand what you're saying, but you. no. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like someone's cooked you a wonderful tea of calamari and spinach, and it's like yes, but I hate calamari and spinach. So yes, <laughs> no. I can I can understand what you're saying for other people, uh, but in my personal opinion, the IWGP Heavyweight Championship should be fought for in singles matches and singles matches only. Damn it! But I understand <laughs> what you're saying. <laughs> uh, main event: I interim AW World's Heavyweight Championship match to make an interim World Champion whilst CM Punk recovers from his injuries. Uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi lost to John Moxley in 18 minutes and 14 seconds of a spectacular professional wrestling match. Well worth the wait. This one has been, this was really, really, really good. Tanahashi's best match of the year. Um, I think Moxley's best match of the year as well. The, interestingly billed as you've been ducking me for three years. Nah, I just wait for you to get to my level. Now that's a that's a line. <laughs> that was very enjoyable. <laughs> that was that was it. Like yes, now nah, you ain't good enough yet, son. So this was just outstanding. I love the build up. I love this match. These two just perfect for you. You know the the the, the ultimate babyface versus the ultimate badass. Really, it's, it is Bret Hart versus Steve Austin for the modern era. You know, it's 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 exceptional, and I really thoroughly enjoyed this. Marcus, your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, besides, you know, witnessing the match and, and you know, kudos to Moxley for realizing who he was in the presence of and switching that game plan up <laughs> like he did Because, uh, like I said, I, you know, I say this about Tanahashi every time we talk about him. I take Tanahashi at 50% over most guys in this business at 100%. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and just that, like you said, that, that moment before the match is like, like you said, I've been ducking him. Like I, I, was, <laughs> I would mean I was looking down the whole time. That's basically what he said. Um, so the whole thing getting up to his level, you saw that in his match. You can't you can't go at Tanahashi straightforward. The man to get you every time. Um, ain't there, there uh, you know not many chinks in his game. Um, and, and Moxley just he, he wore him down, you know. And uh, I was talking about this with with a friend. Like they could have went. With a couple of different options for potential champions, but I think uh, Moxley, um, in, in a way, feels like a safe choice. But he's a great safe choice because I think he was probably the the, the best champion in terms of specifically during a pandemic. I think he was definitely the best champion during the pandemic, and uh, you know, obviously, he's on a new level now. Uh, Coming out, coming out of you know getting over getting over certain demons, and I think this was a great affair. And uh, yeah, you know it, it's not a John Moxley affair being coming out bloody anyway. So <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, yeah, I would agree. I don't think this needed blood, and it was just like a bit weird that oh, we split open. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. It was, it was, I'm not saying I'm not complaining because it didn't. I didn't think it did anything for the match. Yeah. Um, and I think that's that's the you know it's just it is what it is. It happened as it happened, but it was just like this is this. Do you need to really? Are we get yeah. One of the things it's well not necessarily my thing either. Uh, like you said, it didn't necessarily do nothing for the match, but it's almost at this point it's almost vintage Moxley. Like he's gonna go there, <laughs> and, uh, 
you know, it just uh, is working. Then he's back on top. So we'll we'll see how this how this goes. You know, technically he's the interim champion. I would have, I would have, you know, just made him the champion until Punk came back and, and did his thing. But Khan didn't want to do that. So you know, like I said, for now, I, I I've got to agree with the consistency of AW. They've had interim champions at other levels in the past, and I think if you've got a championship rule, then you stick to that rule. Yeah. Not a big fan of them kind of deviating from it. If they've done that, then stick with that because it ma- it makes them special because no other wrestling company does that. And UFC do it, and boxing does it. Yeah. So I think it makes them if they you know they were trying to pull that legitimate element back into wrestling. Mm. I think that makes it works for them. So I can understand what you're saying, but uh, I, I don't yeah. disagree with what they're doing. So yeah, um, yes. I also think Tanahashi would have done well. I know they need a champion to defend the to to be present every week on TV. But I don't yeah. think they would have done badly if they'd had Tanahashi as interim champion either. Because they're going to do Punk versus Tanahashi eventually. Mm. So it's just a matter of time when they do it. But we'll see. What's your thoughts on this one, Alex? Um, yeah, a few things to pick up on there. So um, obviously it was it was a great main event, as you've both said. Like um, Mox winning the title was kind of the expected choice. There was some, you know, wondering if they might do Tanahashi just to, you know switch it up and I think that could have been an interesting element but Mox as Marcus touched on you know he was champion through the pandemic didn't he was a great champion as well and didn't get the chance to do it in front of crowd so this is you know his opportunity to do that and I think that's very well deserved um the blood I agree wasn't needed I wasn't sure if it was a blade job though I'm I think everyone's Obviously, it thinks it is because because well, is so used to blades, just blades all the time. But I didn't see him banging his head on anything. It was just such a strange moment for it to happen, wasn't it? Because it was it off was, like yeah. the sling blade, and I was like, "Have they clonked heads? Why would he blade at that point?" You think they do make a bigger deal of it? He just sort of came up bleeding. So I I don't know. I don't know if that was like hard way. I don't know if it was a blade job. I mean, definitely the match didn't need it and it was he was really bleeding hard as well by the end which did add an extra element but I just yeah I don't think it was needed um at all um Tanahashi just another performance to add to the case of why he could be the best of all time um I did enjoy Jim Ross that thing he said of the first time he saw Tanahashi he went straight into his top three of all time he's that good and you know when <laughs> JR's saying something like that he does mean it as well we and were, that we, is some praise. We were trying to figure out who is the top three because we know yeah, Tanahashi's yeah. one of them so it's got to be we, was it Steve Austin's or Steve Williams and it's got to be Danny Hodge so interesting yeah <laughs> Brett well. doesn't get a look in <laughs> <laughs> Um, Dax will be fuming. Um, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I think it just shows how how good Tanahashi is. Again, here, like he had people booing John Moxley like months out from Mox's big emotional return to wrestling yeah. after him going to rehab and everything. This big return. Tanahashi is an unbelievable babyface. The finishing sequence. Like, I don't think in the last few minutes Tanahashi actually hit a move. He was just selling the choke, making the crowd react, like making the crowd will him out of the submission. It it reminded me of um, AJ Styles talked about when they had a match and he had Tanahashi in the calf crusher 
and they were in it for a while and he was like oh there must have been some kind of miscommunication or something was trying to kind of nudge him towards the ropes but it was because Tanahashi could see the women in the front row crying <laughs> it was like milking it even more and staying in the submission for even longer and it was that kind of thing he was staying in this submission for ages milking the reaction of the crowd getting them to will him out of it and then I think you know he fought out of it and then got hit with the paradigm shift um and that was the finish but it was just so just added such an extra element to the match and he's just so good at doing he is. That. he's it's just so good at it Tanahashi is the best crowd reader of all yeah, time you know, he, you know he will I've seen him switch heel to if mm. he's you know the I've talked, talked about it so many times watching him versus Nakamura in Tokyo mm. All those years ago, uh, uh, invasion attack, and it's like he knew he was going to be booed. The moment he, the music hit, and it was like, yeah. <laughs> it was like, right then, <laughs> and it it's was like that a thing lot. when you yeah. hear all these old guys, and usually they're talking bollocks of like lost arts in wrestling, but that is a bit of a lost art in wrestling yeah. of feeding the crowd and going with the crowd and not just doing what you've prepared to do yeah, in advance. Yeah, yeah he's, he's just he's on another level. He does. He is the ace. He's like you know. Um, I will never tire of watching Hiroshi Tanahashi wrestle. A hundred percent. Yeah, it was, it was a great main event. Um, yeah. Do we want to roll into the post? We should really. Yes, the <laughs> post match Jericho Appreciation Society came down to attack Tanahashi and Moxley, and they were saved by the rest of the Blackpool Combat Club, along with Santana Ortiz and Eddie Kingston, as they build up for their big match of blood and guts. Um, and of course. Eddie Kingston can't stand Claudio Castagnoli, and why should he? He's untrustworthy shit. <laughs> I heard someone, um, someone on Twitter put like every Eddie Kingston is great because he just has this whole law and backstory, and it's basically he hates every new guy for some. <laughs> There's a different reason he hates someone, and it's great. But he's absolutely right about Claudio because Claudio came into Shikara as this all-conquering babyface, and he brought Brian Danielson with him, and he was going to be ace. And what did he do? He founded the BDK. Yep. So there you go. And what, what happened in Ring of Honor? He comes in as this all-conquering babyface, and then he teams up with Chris Hero, and they become kings of pro wrestling. It's that thing of actually mm. remembering what's happened in you know <laughs> history, which you know promotions just don't do enough. They just forget things that happened in the past, which... Which yeah, I AEW love that they not play into it. that. Yeah. So, Eddie's right. Don't trust him. <laughs> <laughs> Marcus, what's your thoughts on the... Well, so, but you may as well you talk about the, 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 the post-match beatdown. What did you think of it, Alex? Um, I have to say I was um, not a huge fan of it at the end of the show. I thought it was one of the few weak moments on the, on the event um, because... Yeah, I get them wanting to promote Blood and Guts on the following show, but it felt a bit kind of almost disrespectful to New Japan and Tanahashi because Tanahashi just had to kind of lay there as an afterthought after <laughs> this great performance. So, yeah, I don't know if it was it was the right call. I mean, I suppose the other side of it is they did a great rate on Dynamite. Like, they went over a million again, so maybe it did help sell that match a little bit more. But I felt like... I felt like it would have made more sense to have Punk come out at the end and maybe mm. stare, stare them down. It was in Chicago. I know they don't necessarily know how long Punk's going to be out, but yeah, yeah. the match, ultimately, that's going to happen at the end of this. He's going to work both of them. 
at some point. So, yeah, it felt like that might have been the better opportunity. But I did love the Eddie and Claudio stuff. I absolutely agree on that. (laughs) It just felt a bit like, let's do this now at the end of a show which hasn't necessarily been about that, apart from obviously that opening match. So I think, yeah, that's, I think that's the thing is like, there was lots of uh, commentary online about not letting stuff breathe. Let's have five mm-hmm. minutes. Yeah. Exa- yeah. Like Mox and Tanahashi didn't get the chance to kind of bask in what they'd just done, which obviously <coughs> is not new Japan who, where they will do that a lot and let the moment speak for themselves. Yeah, they will do. And then somebody will get beat up. Um, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yes. Marcus, what's your thoughts on the close of the show? Oh, very much with the two of you. It felt like, uh, specifically Alex, it felt like a, a like an unnecessary add-on. Um, kind of twofold with because I appreciate the fact that you immediately want to get the fans' minds into, you know, where things are carrying next. Because it's like, okay, we had this super show. But remember, this is the narrative going into Dynamite. And, and, and maybe, you know, that was the point because it paid off with the rating ultimately but uh you know that there was a lot of special moments that happened on this show um and i think that that final match you know with moxley and tanahashi did deserve you know to let it breathe because it's not like they hadn't did enough build up to blood and guts it's all they talked about uh they 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 send the guy on commentary through what feels like delirium with all the matches he has to list off every week uh, <laughs> and um you know they gave him the win early in the show. So you knew what was, you know, you, not like these fans don't know the narrative going into these shows. So um, didn't necessarily need to happen, but I get it. Uh, so, yeah, you know, uh, I would, you know, like Alex, I would have preferred, you know, kind of see the arm raise with Moxley and Tanahashi, obviously Moxley doing the, doing the uh, champion thing and giving Tanahashi that, that light because you did just face a living legend. Um, but, you know, it, it happened. Marcus, then, we'll close out with you. What's your final thoughts on the show? Uh, I thought, like I said, I thought it, you know, because of everything that was going on with it, dropouts and what have you, a lot of switch arounds, I thought it uh, probably ended up being undersold beforehand, but ultimately it over-delivered. And like I said, it's been a while since I've watched a AEW show from start to finish, enjoyed, you know, 90% of it. And, and walked away happy specifically with the time of it all. So they definitely delivered with this. And if I enjoyed this one this much, I'm, I can only, you know, like Alex alluded to, look forward to seeing what they get with a second outing if they actually get all the pieces that they want in place. So very happy with the show. Okay. Alex, what's your final thoughts? It, yeah, exactly. Like it massively, massively over delivered. I think it's ended up being one of the best shows of the year overall start to finish you know there were very few weak points on it we spoke about you know the ending brawl not being great the women's title match maybe not feeling like it fit but the kind of minor qualms because it was Mm. just it was just really strong all the way through I can't imagine anyone who tuned in or paid to watch it came away disappointed and yeah with everything in the build-up which it seemed like if something could go wrong it did you know (laughs) with the amount of guys who pulled out and other things that you know politics and everything else we've spoken about the fact that they put out such a great show in the end speaks to the quality of the two companies as well and I think as you kind of touched on at the start of the show Forbidden Door 2 will probably be even better because all those big names will be on there 
and yeah they've got a hell of a hell of a platform now to kind of jump off of for the second show for sure definitely okay then well that brings us to the end of our review of forbidden door alex where can we find you on the internet sir uh, I am Alex Watt one eight seven on Twitter. If you want to listen to my football and not <laughs> listen, read uh, my football <laughs> and wrestling musings. <laughs> and where can we find you, Marcus the Sir? Yes, sir, you can find me on Twitter at Paradox Kid P A R P A R A D O X K I D. Always happy to chat. There you go. You can find me at Sheriff Lone Star on Twitter. You can find us. Troopany Show on Twitter and on Facebook, as well as Patreon, The Troopany Show, where you can keep us free forever for everyone. Next week, we'll be looking at Glate, who have got a couple of shows that we haven't reviewed yet. Marcus, you up for that? Absolutely. There you go. We'll have Marcus Green, maybe Mr. John Dinsdale as well. We strongly encourage you to watch Glate. We've been encouraging people to watch Glate for a long time because it's an awesome, awesome show. And this week... Well, House of Touch turned up, so we'll see how that plays out. Take care. We hope you enjoyed Forbidden Door. It is an astounding professional wrestling card. You should definitely go and see it. And it just shows you how healthy wrestling is today in North America and in Japan. Take care, and we'll speak to you soon. Bye. (laughs) 